Hi, this is John Wilson, president of the AANS. Just want to talk to you a little bit about our upcoming annual meeting. Okay, so John, tell us about this amazing Cushing order you've set up for us. Sure. His name is Boyd Vardy. He's a South African uh, who has a great deal of experience talking about the Ubuntu uh, African philosophy. I feel that this ties in very well with the theme of our meeting, which is Neurosurgery United, Stronger Together. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today, we are going to conclude our mini-series on the AANS and CNS sections. And last but not least, we're going to talk about the pain section. And the pain section chair was not available, but a former chair was, and that's Jason Schwab. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Great, great. Now, we're very excited to talk to you because pain is such an interesting topic, which we've touched on so much in 2021. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little about who you are, where you came from, and how you got to neurosurgery? Yeah, I, I came at it a little bit differently. I mean, I actually um, I ended up majoring in classical Greek as an undergrad and, and sort of became very interested in language and how different languages shape how we think and how our brains work. Uh, and then when I got to medical school, um, became interested in neuroscience, um, but really didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, when I started, I sort of thought I wanted to go into medicine or pediatrics, um, but really enjoyed anatomy. And then we had the opportunity to rotate on either neurology or neurosurgery at Yale. And I had the advantage of, of choosing neurosurgery because I want to learn how to do a quick, efficient and thorough neurologic exam and just sort of fell in love and, you know, was luckily to have really great mentors in uh, Des Spencer, who is the chair, Murat Ganell, who is the current chair now, was the PGY2, um, and sort of went from there. It was really fascinated by how languages split up and can be in different areas with, with people who are multilingual, um, and went from there, uh, being interested in functional neurosurgery with epilepsy, movement disorders, and pain. And tell us about your practice now. What what kind of surgeries do you do? What kind of patients do you see? So it's pretty mixed. Um, you, we have a pretty large uh, program at Henry Ford. Uh, there are two of us who do functional neurosurgery. And um, my practice includes epilepsy, uh, DBS for movement disorders, a fair amount of pain. Um, I also run our adult hydrocephalus program, which is mostly NPH. Um, and frankly, a large part of my practice right now uh, is actually complex peripheral nerve. Um, so we're doing a lot of interesting stuff, you know, not just the sort of normal uh, brachial plexus tumors and uh, nerdizations and, and um, 
and uh, neurolysis, but also peripheral nerve stimulation. Now, if we could just kind of as uh, building off where you finish with your commentary right there, maybe for some of the younger folks in the audience, trainees, I mean, even at my level as we talk today, maybe could you give us a description or overview of what is considered to be within the realm of the pain neurosurgeon? Obviously, as you mentioned, it touches on functional neurosurgery. Um, spine surgery, such as Dr. Wang performs, is often done for the purposes of pain. But when you say I'm a neurosurgeon specializing in pain, what does that generally encompass? Well, it's funny you should put it that way. I mean, I remember I had a partner uh, in, in one of my former positions who um, he was a very expert spine surgeon who, who said, you know, damn it, you know, turn around and realize I'd become a pain surgeon because uh, a lot of spine surgery is, is not done for progressive neurologic deficits. It's done to help with pain. Um, I, I think you know, the difference between people who do only spine and people who do spine and also neuromodulation uh, is really a difference in how you look at the problem. Um, and we, we see this in our multidisciplinary spine conferences where we're arguing about you know, a structural problem in a patient without a progressive neurologic deficit and the, and the guys who are big hardware users are like, you know, there's a structural def deficit, you got to fix it. And sometimes my partner and I are like, well, you know, yeah, you could do a T10 to, you know, pelvis fusion um, and you're probably going to get pretty good results, but it's 10% chance that the patient's actually going to get worse um, no matter what you do. And the patient's going to have a six to 12 month recovery when we try something more straightforward and, and just treat the, the symptom, treat the pain that the patient's having and see if we can help them first. And then if that doesn't work, you know, then do the big multi-level uh, fixation and fusion. So I think it's a, it's a different way of, of looking at the field and, and really trying to bring all the tools into your toolbox. Um, part of it is also you know, attacking from multiple different perspectives. And it's not all spinal cord stimulation. I mean, I think we've seen a pretty big expansion into peripheral nerve stimulation the past few years with now having some FDA devices. Fair number of people do work with intrathecal drug delivery. And, and I think one of the big burgeoning fields that I'm hoping is really going to expand because there's a huge need out there is uh, neuroblative procedures for cancer pain. Um, and it also includes you know, a lot of things that, that we end up uh, having to deal with that you know, the, the boundaries are a little unclear. So um, a lot of skull-based surgeons will do microvascular decompressions, um, but I think there's some advantage. I think a lot of us in the, who, who really call ourselves pain surgeons who deal with facial pain, you know, we use multiple different modalities. I mean, so, you know, if I'm presented with a patient with facial pain, you know, I've got literally like eight procedures that I could do for that patient. You know, I can do an MVD. I can, uh, I can work with my radiation oncologist and do stereotactic radar surgery. I can do balloon compression. I can do radar frequency rhizotomy. I can do glycerol rhizotomy. And these are all things that I do in my practice. And if they have deaffrontation pain, you know, then we can start talking about uh, supraorbital or infraorbital nerve stimulation. 
high cervical um, spinal cord stimulation, trigeminal tractotomy, deep brain stimulation, motor cortex stimulation. So you can sort of bring the whole panoply of, of tools. And, and, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where, you know, it's Maslow's hammer and, and everything you, you know, because you've got a hammer, everything you look at is, is a nail. Um, even when it's a screw and you really need a screwdriver or it's a lot easier to, to get the screw in uh, with a screwdriver than with a hammer. You know, that's a great analogy. I, I, I love how you, how you discuss that uh, as, a, as I would expect from a pain surgeon. But let me ask you something because, you know, I've been giving these talks for the last couple of years that are more philosophical. And my next one is going to be entitled Why Spine Surgeons Hate Outpatient Clinic. And, um, you know, I was talking to Nick Bullis over the weekend at the Georgia Neurosurgical, and he was telling me he can only handle so many chronic pain patients in any given day or week before he has to just hang it up, right? And there is some kind of a, I don't want to say it's like a soul-sucking element of dealing with people who are in chronic pain, but certainly most doctors find it a little bit taxing, right? How do you, as like a pain specialist, manage that? How, how do you manage from the, from the clinic side, the patient side, and internally? How do you deal with that? that? To me, it seems exhausting. And of course, I'm dealing with people in pain all day long as well. Yeah, it is exhausting. And I can only do so much of it, too. I, I think the, the, one of the nice things, you know, I think with our neuromodulation practices is, is frankly, you know, the insurers require some degree of multidisciplinary treatment, including pain psychology. And a lot of that, you know, involves managing expectations. And one of the things I find, you know, as someone who also has done spine surgery for a number of years is, you know, a lot of the patients coming in for spine surgery, they expect to be cured. Um, and that's not, the, you know, sometimes you can do that. And, and, you know, I've definitely seen patients that you know, you're like, you should have had this operation five years ago, we would have a lot better chances of helping you and, and curing you. Um, but, but I've also seen a lot of patients, you know, where um, you're just not going to get that, that degree and you're not going to meet their expectations and they're going to be dis disappointed. And that can be kind of disappointing for the clinician as well. So I think a lot of it is, is really being able to manage expectations. You know, that being said, you know, some of the patients that Nick and I see, you know, they've exhausted everything. And they've basically been told, you know, you're going to have to live with it. So even if you can, you know, if you can come in and, and help knock down their pain and, and increase their function and get them to the point that they can do more with their family, you know, that's a success. But, but it is definitely, you know, difficult, especially dealing with patients who have uh, opioid use disorder, um, where it's just very frustrating. You're just not going to make much progress with them um, unless you can convince them to, to decrease the opioids. Well, I wonder then if we could turn our focus to the section itself and maybe describe now that we've covered the various practitioners that may wear the hat of the pain surgeon and the various procedures and tools at your disposal, what's the makeup of the pain section like? What are the various uh, what's the breakdown, I should say, in the membership of various subspecialties that attend the conference and participate in the section? What kind of services are offered and what do the meetings look like? You know, I think the if you look at the breakdown of people who are members, the, the, I think the majority are going to be people uh, like me who are also doing stereotactic and functional neurosurgery. 
Um, we don't have as many people who do spine, you know, as I would like, although uh, Bill Rosenberg, who's our outgoing uh, chair, you know, does a fair amount of spine um, as well. And, and we definitely have members who do that. There are a few members who are peripheral nerve surgeons um, who have added peripheral nerve stimulation into their portfolio. Um, and then we have some uh, interest from people um, involved with, uh, with cancer pain, um, although many of those are stereotactic and functional people as well, um, and people with interest in facial pain. Um, so that would also include some uh, skull-based people. Um, but, you know, I think the, the interesting thing is, you know, if you look nationwide, um, the reality is, is that a, a lot of spinal cord stimulators are, are placed by community neurosurgeons who have built relationships that are mutually supportive with their pain physicians. So they refer patients back and forth. Um, and a lot of uh, spine surgeons out in the community um, are, are doing permanent implants of neuromodulation sy uh, systems, um, it, which I don't think many people, you know, when you're a resident or you're in a big academic center where these things are, are pretty segmented and siloed, uh, I, I don't think many people are, are actually aware of that. Yeah, Jason, you know, I, I remember reading about gait theory uh, when I was in college, and, and I always think about spinal cord stimulators as utilizing gait theory as the way to control pain, but that's probably an oversimplification, right? Because now you have yeah. other forms of stimulation like DRG and occipital nerve, all these peripheral nerve stimulators. Can you walk us through a little bit of, of the science of this technology? Because some people think it's just hocus pocus, but there's real science and, and physiology behind this, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it, it's, it's clearly neuromodulatory. You're clearly sort of changing the ability of, of signals to get through. It's not as simple as gate theory. And, and you know, I think that's become more and more apparent the past few years as, Many of us and in, in industry has moved away from uh, systems that rely upon this idea that you have to be able to induce paresthesias in the affected area. So a lot of us, you know, a lot of what we're doing now is paresthesia free um, and sort of changing how um, information gets from the periphery into the central nervous system. There's a little bit of hand waving there, just like there is with deep brain stimulation, right? Um, you, you know, we have some ideas as to how that works, and, and you know, there are some really interesting computational models. Jeff R. Lee at uh, Beth Israel and at uh, Harvard has published some really, you know, interesting uh, articles um, using those sort of computational models to kind of figure out how these things work. Um, but it, but it's hard to to know exactly. Um, and, and a wide variety of things work. And it's, and frankly, you know, it's often unclear as to, you know, which device or which simulation paradigm is going to work in which patient. You know, it's so often the case um, on the frontiers of science, uh, both clinical and basic science, that we know that things work well before we know why they work. Um, as is so often the case within functional neurosurgery, of course, and I, I hear these same sentiments echoed in the description of spinal cord stimulation there. And as with anything that's on a frontier, I think it naturally uh, evokes interest of, of young people coming up into the field, the young people who are entering training. Um, I am often in these conversations the token resident or token trainee 
Um, so I wonder if you could speak towards the younger people in the audience. We have many medical students, even college students, residents like myself who listen to the show, and just speak to them about what role there is for the trainee within the pain section, um, participation in meetings, any uh, research roles, things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of uh, opportunities, and, and part of that is because it's pretty spotty what, what people's experiences in residency. I mean, I can tell you, you know, when I was a resident at the University of Pennsylvania, I did not see a single spinal cord stimulator placement, nor did I mm-hmm. see, I don't think I even saw an intrathecal pump placement, except maybe, you know, at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Um, so I didn't see any of that. And so people's experiences really, you know, some people like our trainees obviously get a fair amount and a pretty diverse experience, but that's not true everywhere. Um, so I think it's worthwhile to to get the experience through the pain section. Part of that, we do have a, a traveling fellowship for people um, you know, kind of at graduation where you can spend several months and visit people to learn techniques that might not be available at, at your residency program. Um, but, I, but I think there are a lot of opportunities to, to get involved um, and, and because especially because it's a small section, uh, get involved at an early stage and, and learn a fair amount um, from the, the clinical faculty that's involved. And if I could ask you to put on your forecaster's hat for a moment, looking ahead in the field from your perspective, what, what exciting things do you think are on the horizon? Do you think spinal cord stimulation is perhaps the, the big next step looming ahead of us immediately, or, or what else is there down the road? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a big expansion. I mean, it's not um, it's not so much down the road. It's already here. You know, you've got uh, multiple companies. You've got Lancet papers. You know, really good. You know, now that you've got paresthesia free stimulation, you know, just like with any neuromodulation where you can turn it off, that allows you to do prospective randomized controlled trials. Um, and, and so there's a huge opportunity with a huge amount of data. Um, and clearly, industry thinks that this is, you know, going somewhere because they're investing a huge amount of money in, in these technologies and device development. And um, and now I think, you know, we're starting to get, uh, we haven't quite gotten the U.S., but we probably will within this next year, closed loop stimulation, you know, really true closed loop stimulation, which seems to be more uh, effective than, you know, just kind of blasting at the spinal cord at 100 or 1,000 hertz or 10,000 hertz. Um, so I think there's a, a lot coming out. I think the real question is going to be, you know, how much involvement do neurosurgeons want um, and, and how involved are they going to be? Because our pain, uh, anesthesia pain and PMR pain, uh, colleagues are, are really moving forward gangbusters with a lot of these procedures. Um, and, and they want to, you know, be able to do the full panoply, uh, of procedures, you know, just like you're seeing with cope flex and spine, you know, there are, uh, pain physicians out there that want to be doing percutaneous cordotomies. Um, and, and so, um, you know, I think the real question is, is for neurosurgeons, you know, how involved do you want to be in this field? Um, do you want to expand your toolbox um, so that when you're presented with a patient, you know, you can take care of pretty much everything uh, as opposed to just having, you know, a couple modalities. And then if you 
reach the end of your comfort level, you know, send them on to a pain physician or some other type of physician. Well, Dr. Schwab, why don't we try to answer that question of how involved do you want to be for all of our guests who have been on during this mini-series uh, on the various NSC CNS sections. We've uh, closed the episodes with an opportunity to make a pitch. So if you could, for our listeners, make a pitch to the trainees out there, be they entering residency, wrapping up now, why should a young neurosurgeon entering the field now go into pain? Well, I think the, the question is really going to be for, for trainees, you know, is that, do you want this to be your focus? Do you want to be the quote pain guy unquote, you know, with all the discomfort that Mike talked about with you know, being <laughs> presented with a, a clinic full of, of chronic pain patients. And that can be definitely right. daunting. Um, I, I think, you know, many of us uh, who go into neurosurgery, we, we tend to want to be the control fleet freaks. We want to be the top of the heap. Um, and, and I think if you're really going to deliver complete care, you know, you have to, you have to know what the options are. Um, and, and it's up to you to decide if you want to be able to provide those options, you know, just like you wouldn't, um, you know, I would hope you wouldn't do a microvascular decompression on a patient that hadn't been tried on Tegretol or wouldn't put a deep brain stimulator lead in a patient with essential tremor who had been tried on propanolol uh, or, or primidone, you know, similarly, I think, you know, you should think twice about uh, whether you're going to do that T10 to pelvis or that really invasive procedure um, without also considering your options and, and maybe even providing those options yourself. Well said. Well, Dr. Schwab, we want to thank you for your time to come on the show today, both on behalf of ourselves and our listeners uh, to come on and represent the pain section for all of our uh, audience. Thank you so much for coming on the Neurosurgery Podcast. Thank you. My pleasure.